Well, good morning and welcome to Sunday at 10 at New Community. Um, welcome to this morning, this great day, this first day. And whether you're joining us from your living room, your lounge room or the backyard shed, glad to have you here with us this morning. Whether it's your first time tuning in or the fifth time, we want to welcome you here today at our Easter special Sunday. And if you weren't just tapping your feet, then you need to just check your pulse. So I just want to say thank you to Craig and all of our creatives who have been stepping into the space. This is the shaping of things to come. Well, this is the day, this Sunday, this very first day of the week, where millions of people throughout our entire globe pause and they remember an event, an historical event that changed the course of history, that's transformed their lives and is transforming people's lives. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth from the grave. And millions of people all throughout the globe pause on this day remembering the first, those wee hours of that April morning in AD 30, when history and the course of it and their lives changed. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning, celebrating and giving witness to those things. And I just want to say to you this morning, whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're finding out about him, or whether you're just looking and scratching around the edges, I don't want to try and convince you that miracles are actually possible, nor do I want to tell you that you should believe in the resurrection just because the Bible says so. But what I want to do is explore the meaning of what it meant to those very first followers of Jesus for a dead man coming back to life and how it was that a small group of despondent followers in the back blocks of the Roman Empire were so transformed that there was a movement that spread throughout the entire Roman Empire, a transforming movement of love and reconciliation such that by the 4th century AD, one in every two people living in the Roman Empire declared that they too were a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you push them and you press them about what was the starting point, the reset button that changed everything, they would point to this particular day, a Sunday in the early hours of AD 30 in April, the Sunday being the very first day of a whole new beginning, not just for their lives, but for the entire world. Well, over these past few weeks, we've been looking at the particular book of the Bible, Luke's account of all of the events that he collected as a physician and put them together into one narrative, the story of this person, Jesus Christ. And he has a two-part sequel. So we're going to look at the sequel next week, the book of Acts. But for this week, we're going to finish up in what has been pressing towards the ultimate, the penultimate, the climax of his story, which centers around the events that he records in chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles here with you this morning, I would invite you to grab one, turn to Luke chapter 24, and as you're doing so, I would like to just pause for a moment and pray on this special day, this Sunday, this very first day of the week. God, here in this place this morning, as millions of people throughout this globe pause and celebrate an historic event and give witness to the transforming nature of that event in their lives that point to a person who's come back to life, I pray that you might speak to us. Whether we've been following you for many years, or whether we're just finding out more about you, or scratching around the edges wanting to discover and finding out who you are, I pray that wherever anyone is listening in, 
that you may speak and that you might reach through these cameras and these computers and this technology and would you meet with us today. I pray that you might open up our eyes and open up our hearts and transform human lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if there's one thing that was certain about that Easter Sunday morning, that first day of the week, is simply this, that nobody was expecting anybody to rise from the dead. The story picks up in Luke chapter 24 and it goes something like this. The women went to the tomb in the very early morning of the first day of the week, carrying the spices that they had prepared. Why? Is because those women were going to take part in an embalming process because the body of Jesus had been taken down from the cross in a quickly hurried manner on that good Friday because they were trying to beat the Sabbath sunset setting. And so they took the body down and Joseph of Arimathea had taken it to his particular tomb, which was a shared tomb. And so the women, including uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Johanna and all the other entourage that had been following with Jesus, hadn't had a chance to actually embalm the body. And so on the very first day after Sabbath, they grabbed and collected their spices and they went to the tomb to embalm the body. Why? Because decaying, putrefying bodies stink. And so when they went there, they went to embalm his body such that if anyone else died and Joseph wanted to place that body in the tomb, when they opened and rolled the stone away, they weren't be, wouldn't be confronted with this just overwhelming stench. And so the first part of the embalming process or the burial process involved embalming, embalming. And then once the body had decayed, they would collect the bones and they would place them into a box called an ossuary. And that would be the second part of the burial ritual. So the women have turned up to this particular time in this Sunday morning to the grave where they knew Jesus' body had been buried. And they just wanted to take part in what was just the natural course of preparing the body for its complete burial. They weren't expecting any particular body to rise from the dead on that Easter first Sunday morning. And so the story goes on like this. And when they arrived there, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they were at a loss to know what to make of it all. In fact, so we see from this story, this narrative here is that even the women, when they arrived on that Easter Sunday morning, they weren't anticipating a body having risen to new life. Their first response wasn't, oh, Jesus must have resurrected. In fact, they were dumbfounded and confounded. They turned to one another and said, where's his body? What's happened? What's taken place? Who's come and stolen it or where's he gone? That was the very last thing on their minds. And then Luke continues his narrative. He says this, suddenly, Two men, angelic beings, in shining clothes, stood beside them. It says that the women were terrified, and they bowed their faces towards the ground. But the men said to them, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He isn't here. He's been raised. Don't you remember? Don't you remember when you were in Galilee, how he talked about him going to Jerusalem, that he would be handed over to the officials, that he would be crucified, and that on the third day he would rise to new life? Don't you remember that? Well, the women were so overcome 
with this terrifying experience that they were pulled in every kind of direction. The last thing they'd been expecting on that Easter Sunday morning that any particular body should rise from the dead. So what did they do? Well, they went back and told the men. Now men, I know it's Easter Sunday morning, but ladies, could you just block your ears for a moment? So men, the women came back to you And they shared that they had seen two angels and those angels had told them that Jesus had risen to new life. And what did you say to them? That's right. You said things like, oh, you've just told us that you've seen two angels beside the burial site of Jesus and they've told you that there's a body that's come back to life and that he's risen. And so you undoubtedly turned to the women and said, that's amazing, we so entirely believe you. No, that's not what you said at all. Sorry, ladies. What they said was, these women are so emotional You know what happens when a group of women get together. I mean, they just start sharing with one another and one tear starts to flow and another tear starts to shed. And then before you know it, there's whole mass hysteria. And now they're telling us that they've seen two angels and that Jesus has come back to life and we totally entirely believe you. Well, just before you start pointing fingers at uh, the women and calling them emotional and hysterical and irrational, let me ask you, where were the men hiding? Mm -hmm. Were the men by the grave doing the embalming process? No. Where were you guys? You were hiding like little schoolboys behind closed doors because you didn't want to be caught by the authorities. Just saying. So, When the women came to you and they told you what was going on, just remember where you were. Because the story goes on like this. And the women said to the apostles, this uh, told them what had actually happened. And the apostles replied by saying, and this message seemed to them just stupid, useless talk. And they didn't believe them. Why? Because nobody was expecting anybody on that Sunday, that first day of the week, to rise from the dead. Why? Because of some clear reasons and rationales in their mind. Firstly, the first one is this. They didn't expect anybody to rise from the dead is because, number one, in a Jewish estimation, messiahs don't die. I mean, messiahs are the ones who kick the goals, they climb the mountain peak, they, they take the shot, and they win. Messiahs don't lose, and messiahs don't die. A dead messiah, in a Jewish estimation, was an oxymoron. Number two, crucified people stay dead. I mean, if you had been there witnessing... And in fact, it was just the women and John that were there, guys, just saying. They watched the crucifixion of Jesus 
And if anyone had watched a crucifixion back in, in the first century AD, they would know that the Romans were exquisitely good at doing executions. I mean, they had drilled this thing down to a T. They knew that crucifixion spelt death. It was a harrowing, bloody, painful, traumatic experience, not only for those who were dying, but for those who were watching in the public purview. And so they knew, having witnessed many crucifixions before, but their, their Jesus being crucified, is that they understood and they knew that crucified people stay dead. And the third reason why no one wasn't expecting anybody to rise from the dead on that Easter Sunday morning was because they understood in the ancient world is that dead people do not rise. The overwhelming ideology and expectation across the pagan world of the empire, no matter what goddess or god that you believed in, is that when you died, your body went into the ground and your spirit was liberated to the afterworld. In fact, when your spirit was liberated, that was deemed to be a good thing because why would you want to be contained in this deathly, decaying body that was subject to suffering and pains in this life? The overwhelming expectation and ideology in the ancient world is that when your body died, it liberated your soul, your spirit to go somewhere else. Except for if you were a Jewish person. And most of the Jewish people believed what the prophets had spoken to them about. And that one day their God, the one God, Yahweh, would restore and regenerate and renew the entire cosmos. And in that day, in that regeneration, there would be a resurrection of the dead. That not only God would resurrect bodies, that he would actually restore the entire cosmos and rid it from pain and suffering and decay and death. But that day was one day way off into the future. In fact, Habakkuk, one of the prophets, put it like this. For the earth will one day be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. And when he spoke like that, he wasn't just using metaphor. In fact, in the Jewish mindset, there was this idea and this desire and this conviction that one day their God, Yahweh, would come and renew the entire cosmos, would raise their bodies in a resurrected life free from suffering. And when they held that view, though, they believed that that view would be one day in the future. And for anyone who followed God, who followed Yahweh, who believed in him, would be caught up in that great and momentous event. But on this particular Sunday morning, nobody was expecting anybody to rise from the dead. But what they didn't understand was that this nobody Jesus of Nazareth wasn't just anybody. He was the somebody that would change the course, the history of the entire world. Well, Luke goes on and tells that there was two people from their group. One of the names of the, one of the gentlemen was called Cleopas. And he was there with someone else. And we anticipate and expect that that was his wife, Mary. And that the two of them were walking on this Sunday, this first day of the week. They took a journey to a town that was a few miles away from Jerusalem by the name of Emmaus. 
And on that journey, on that road, it's only Luke that records the dynamic and nature of their conversation that they were having. Because as they were walking, they were unpacking the events of the last three days from the beginning of Passover on Friday night all the way through to this Easter Sunday morning. And it so happens, and they didn't understand at the time, that Jesus came up as a solitary body and began a conversation with him. It seems as though Jesus had an earthly body, but it had dimensions that were fit for the heavenly realm, God's dimensions. And so they didn't understand, they didn't see, they didn't perceive that it was him in that moment. And Luke picks up the story and he says this. Jesus comes to them and he talks to Cleopas and Mary and he says these words. You're obviously having a very important discussion on your walk, he said. What's it all about? Well, they replied, you must be the only person around Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been going on in these last few days. Well, Jesus just messes with them a little bit. And he goes on and he says this, uh, Cleopas says this, to do with Jesus of Nazareth. You see, he was a prophet and he acted with power and he spoke with power before God and all of the people. And this is what Cleopas goes on and describes what they were hoping for, what was the longing of their hearts. He says this, we were hoping that he, that is that this one, this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping that he was the Messiah. We were hoping that he was the son of God, that he was going to come and finally bring about a liberation for our people, that he would set us free from the tyranny and the oppression of Rome And that he would liberate us and that God would rule through him and we would establish his kingdom here on earth amongst us and our people. Well, just as they're describing this, you see, Jesus understands that that what he's about to achieve or what he has achieved wasn't just for Israel, but it was for the entire world. Because Jesus replies and he says this to them. Are you so slow in your hearts to believe all the things that the prophet said to you? Don't you see? This is what had to happen. The Messiah had to suffer and then come into his glory. See, what Jesus was trying to press in upon them, that what he was accomplishing wasn't just some haphazard chance. It wasn't something that the Romans had done to him. It was something that he knew and willingly gave himself for. Because his reach wasn't just for Israel and the Jewish people, but his his reach was for the entire world and for the entire cosmos and for the entire universe and for lives of people all around the world, for people like you and I. And so he goes on and he says that as he was about to leave them and their company, they said to him, Well, why don't you come and join us for dinner? And so Jesus joins them. It says they sit down and Cleopas and Mary are there and Jesus is sitting with them and they still don't understand. They still haven't seen who he is. And it says that Jesus, he took bread and he broke it. It says in that very moment in the breaking of the bread, they would have recalled something of the Passover Seder just from a few days before. But also it would have sparked in their minds something afresh that Luke wants to convey and portray to us because he writes this. As he was sitting at the table with them, he took the bread and gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. 
And this, at this very moment, you can see the lights are starting to dawn. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they recognized him for who he was. They recognized that this was none other than Jesus who'd risen to new life. Their eyes were opened. And in that very instant, he says that Jesus vanished from their eyes and he disappeared. And it's interesting that Luke here in this moment, he selects and chooses these particular words. The eyes of both of them were opened. Well, that was not only true for Cleopas and Mary, but as Luke is writing these things, he uses that particular phrase because he wants to transport the readers, you and I, back to another time where another man and woman were having a meal, that were taking some food from a tree. And when they took that food from the tree and they ate it, 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 they, it says in that moment they, they perceived that they were naked and they felt guilt and shame. And what Luke is wanting us to do is to transport us back to the creation account in which, if you like, Adam and Eve are sharing a meal together. They've taken the fruit from the tree. They've eaten it. And it says in that moment, their eyes were opened and they saw who they were. They saw what they had done. And it says they were naked and ashamed. And from that very singular moment, death had rippled throughout all of creation. And Luke is wanting his readers to do a retake and say in that very moment when those two took of a new meal and broke that bread before them they saw and they realized who this person was they didn't see their nakedness and the shame they saw the light of life the source of power the person who created the universe and transforms humans' hearts and washes people clean and removes guilt and removes shame, they saw the light of all life and their lives were never left the same. But what did they do? <laughs> well, they ran back as quick as they could to Jerusalem. And I think to save the men from the same embarrassment of the first time when the women arrived, as soon as they arrived back, they discovered that Jesus was with them too. Because nobody was expecting anybody on that Easter Sunday morning to rise from the dead. And so it says when they got back, they were saying this and they were telling this event to the other disciples. And in that very moment, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace be with you. And they were terrified and alarmed and they thought that they were seeing a ghost. Yes, the men too. And it went on and it said, and Jesus, knowing that they were so terrified and, and overwhelmed and, and just, just scared spitless, he took these hands and his feet and he turned them towards them. And he said, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. Why did he show them his hands and his feet? It's because Jesus still bore the marks of crucifixion. Those hands were the very hands that the nails had gone through. Those feet still bore the marks where the nails had pierced. And Jesus turns to them and he says, touch me and see. You see, ghosts don't have flesh and bones like you and I have and that you can see. You see, it's me. And it's not just a spirit that's come back to life. That's not resurrection. It's a body that's come back to life and that changes everything. And so Jesus, 
He took a moment and he explained to them in the midst of their terror, in the midst of their amazement, in the midst of their excitement. And he says this, don't you understand? He said, the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And in his name, repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be announced to all of the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are the witness. You are the witnesses for all of this. What Jesus was saying to him in this moment is that this message is not just for a few people. This message is for the nations and for everyone. And what I want you to do from this moment, and you've seen my hands and you've seen my feet, where you've touched my flesh and you've beheld me, what I want you to do is go out into all the world and be a witness of what's just happened and taken place. You see, the beginning of the end of all things has broken forth. God's future, just like Habakkuk shared, has entered into our present and that changes everything. And what I want you to do is go out and proclaim a repentance. That is a wholehearted return to God without any wheeling or dealing. For anyone who does that and turns to God and embraces Jesus, he says there will be forgiveness and there will be washing of clean, no more guilt, no more shame. There will be a welcome into God's family and you will come to know a living hope, the light of the world, the light of life. And his name is Jesus. You see... Nobody was expecting anybody to rise from the the grave on that Easter Sunday morning. But that body wasn't just anybody. He was the somebody. And this somebody was for everybody. Not just the few, but for all. What did it mean for a dead body to rise to new life? This is the message that echoed from the tomb, that rippled throughout the empire. And this was the message on their lips, is simply this most profoundly, is that death is dead. You do not no longer have to fear life because you do not have to fear death. Death is dead. Secondly, that the renewal of all things has begun, that God's future has broken into the present, and this spells good news for all. The renewal of the entire cosmos has begun, and you can be part of that too. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you. And if you reach out to him and open your arms to Jesus, the one who is the risen one, that same life that came alive in him on that Easter Sunday morning will become alive in you. And you will come alive. And that beginning will one day end in the the culmination of all things when God's kingdom breaks forth here on earth just as it is in heaven. And that is the message, and that is the good news, that this resurrection means that God's kingdom has come, that Jesus is the king of the world, the lord of the universe, the boss of the park. He is in control of all things, and that when you place your trust in him, he will come alive in you.
Some many years ago when my wife and I were first married, we were scratching together a whole bunch of different things for our house that we were paying off. And we were kind of trying to find all different bits and pieces and bods and furniture for our house. Well, I remember that my wife, she took me to this antiques warehouse. Well, I'm not sure if you describe it kind of like an antiques warehouse or if you just kind of kind of like a bric-a-brac place. And we spent a few hours looking through that entire bric-a-brac place, looking for different pieces of furniture or beaten up things that we might be able to bring home. I remember she sort of tore through every single item in that warehouse as she went kind of looking for every different thing that could possibly fit into a house. She came across an old kitchen cabinet that was sitting at the very back of that shed behind, I think, about two or three other different kind of pieces of furniture. I don't even know what they were. And I remember in that moment, she pulled these things aside and she dragged out this old kitchen cabinet and she said, I think we should take this thing home. And I said back to her, over my dead body. Well, she looked at me and she said, you don't understand. You don't see what I see. Well, all I could see was about five generations of different hand-me-downs. This was made in about the 1950s. And this has had so many different homes, and every home it was in that it got a new coat of paint. Not only was there a new coat of paint on it, like five layers of paint, but that thing had been scuffed up, marked up, bruised up, beaten up. It was the worst-looking kitchen cabinet that you could ever imagine. And for 40 bucks... Bron thought this was a bargain. We could bring it home and that could take pride of place in our house. And I said, are you kidding me? Well, we paid the 40 bucks. She won. Learning my lesson. Took that thing home. And over the next number of weeks, hundreds of hours, painstaking hours, we stripped back five layers of paint. We sanded out the bruises and the marks and the scuffs. We poured oil into the timber. We polished all of the runners and made them shiny. And eventually, after a few coats of lacquer, we placed that kitchen cabinet in the pride of place in our kitchen. And it stood shining as if it was just brand new. That thing had been restored and renewed even beyond its former glory. Why am I telling you that story? Because that's the story of Easter. It's the story that says that when God looked down on his creation, he believed that matter mattered to him. And he was grieved and broken about all the bruising, all the beaten ups, and all the discarded furnitures of human lives that had been a train wreck since the very beginning of time. And rather than leave it in the back barns of his shed, he decided to search out that barn and go looking for the diamonds in the rough and to come into that place and reach down into his earthly dwelling place and go looking for all of that discarded furniture in the lives of you and I with a desire to want to renew it and restore it and bring it back home to the very first place where it truly truly belongs with him so on that Easter Sunday morning 
that message that resonated from the tomb was that God's good news had come. The death had been defeated. The renewal of all things had begun. God's kingdom had arrived and it had arrived for me and it had arrived for you and it had arrived for the entire cosmos. John, in his account in the Bible, says this, but these things are written so that you may believe that the Messiah, the Son of God, is none other than Jesus and that with this faith, you may have life in his name. The offer of Easter and the good news that transformed that fledgling group of people that dwelled in the backboons of the Roman Empire that turned them into a transforming movement of loving reconciliation such that every second person in the Roman Empire by the 4th century claimed and they claimed to be wanting to follow this person, Jesus Christ, has come alive and come true, not only for them, but can be true for you as well. And it all echoed back to that Easter Sunday morning, that very first day of the week, the beginning of a new creation, when God started to put the world to rights. And the power of that message began to transform human hearts. And I believe he's still doing that today. I wonder if you know the peace that only God can give. I wonder if you know the hope that only he can offer. I wonder in the midst of all of this corona pandemic, if you've been shaken to the core and you're wondering, where can I establish my roots? Is there any hope? Is there any God? Is there any love? Is there any life for me? And his answer to you on Easter Sunday morning shouts from the grave. He is risen and he has defeated death and the beginning of all things have come. And if you would turn to him and place your belief, your confident trust in him, the same world that came alive when Jesus rose to new life will come alive in you. I'm not telling you and I'm not promising you that your life will be easy. But when you come to know Jesus, you discover that this new life that comes alive and you will walk with you and you will carry a hope with you and a peace with you that transcends all understanding so that you can face everything that life throws at you because you know the one who has overcome it all. And one day you can live with as Peter, the apostle, says you can live with this living hope, this transforming power, knowing that you are caught up in God's family, the power that is alive in Jesus, transform and pick you up and carry you into his eternity, which will be part of his life in a restored world here and now that's begun and will be realized one day in the total resurrection, the total fulfillment of all things. If you're here this morning, you'd like to know that truth. You'd like to know that hope. You'd like to know that peace. Or perhaps you'd just like to give thanks and celebrate it again. Then would you join me in praying 
and opening up your heart and life to him so that that transforming power may come alive in you. And then when you listen to the song that we have, would you celebrate and join in with them the good news that this Sunday is the first day of a brand new week, a brand new life, brand new creation. Dear Heavenly Father, here in this place right now, we celebrate the power of Easter, the transforming work of your son Jesus. And we ask and we pray that we might know that power, that we might know that hope, that we might know that truth fresh again today. And for anyone here who is listening, who would like to open up their heart and their life to Jesus this morning, then would you join me in doing that now? God, would you come into my life? Jesus, thank you for dying for me and rising to new life. And I turn to you. Would you come into my life? Would you fill me up with your hope and your peace and your life, your very presence, your spirit? And would you transform me? Would you give me your hope? Would you give me your peace? And would you make me alive with you now, I pray in your name. Amen.